God asked me to teach the teachers slash preachers how to rightly divide the word of truth. We, being Gloria and me, use the Bible study for this purpose. Bible study is not to teach doctrine, but simply to teach how to rightly divide the word of truth for yourself. To teach the process of rightly dividing the word of truth, I use my belief system as an example. What's important is how I arrived at the conclusions, not the conclusions themselves. In two or three instances, I've arrived at conclusions that differ from Andrew Womack. However, I want to point out that you're free to agree with Andrew. I don't have a problem with that because, firstly, Andrew is upline to me. He's my teacher. And secondly, it's the process that I'm teaching rather than the outcome. So basically what I'm saying is you don't have to agree with absolutely everything that I believe. What you need to know is how to rightly divide the word of truth for yourself. So we're going to have a look at Romans 8 verse 20. The earlier Bible study two weeks ago we looked at this and when we'd come to the conclusion of that Bible study Rick said to me um, are you aware Gary that that's not in line with what Andrew Womack's living commentary said and I, I replied to Rick no I wasn't aware of that for me Andrew's commentary or his living commentary is not my first port of call my first port of call is the Holy Spirit over in John it says that you will need no other teacher that the anointing which abides in you will reveal to us uh, the truth now I'm not quoting that verbatim but that's basically the thrust of it and John goes on to say that you know I'm not lying I'm not telling you a lie here why would he need to say that because people kind of gloss over it or they don't really believe it He's saying that we need to aspire to be in a position where we can hear from the Holy Spirit himself. To the best of my ability, that's what I do. Yes, I do go to Andrew Womack's Living Commentary, but in most cases, the Holy Spirit gives me what I pass on to you. This Romans 8 verse 20, it says, For the creature... In the New King James Version, it calls it creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who, had, who hath subjected the same by hope. Now, first of all, I'll give you my comments. And my comments were before I even looked at what Andrew had said. If I just went to Andrew's living commentary every week, well there'd be little point in having a Bible study. I'd just be reading what Andrew says about something. No, it needs to be your revelation that you're giving at a Bible study. It needs to be something that you've got ownership of, that that you, Andrew teaches this himself actually. He used to go to Kenneth Copeland meetings and come back to his Baptist church and preach and say, and, uh, Kenneth Copeland said this and God showed him, no, that's fine that you're getting this information from Kenneth Copeland, but you need to take possession of it. It needs to be your revelation. 
And once he got hold of that, he saw big changes in his own ministry. And this is in the very, very early days for Andrew. So the same applies to us. So here we go. I've got Grace Faith Christian Discipleship Commentary at the top. You could call it Gary's Commentary. Vanity from the Strong's Concordance means moral depravity or from Thayer's definition, what is devoid of truth and appropriateness? The question that comes to my mind is, and I've got a cue there, where does this vanity come from? Well, it, we actually see this over in Genesis 3:17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten from the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the answer to my question, which was, Where does this vanity come from? The answer is, it's part of the curse of Genesis 3.17. The next question that I had was not willingly, not willingly. Is this referring to creation or to God? Well, the answer is God placed the earth and everything on it under the dominion and authority of man. Vanity came upon creation because of the fall. This was not creation's will, nor was it's God's will, but he, God, subjected the same in hope, verse 21, because creation itself shall also be delivered. We need to continue reading that in verse 21. So Romans 8 verse 21 says, because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered, be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Are you both still with me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, I um, can hear you, Gary. Okay, that's good, Graham. So now we're going to get into Andrew's living commentary. If I could get you to help me here, Robin, can you read that first paragraph, first four lines there? The animal creation didn't do anything to corrupt themselves. They were placed under man's dominion by God and entered into the fallen state through our transgression. God set it up this way in hope of something better than the animal creation existing separate from us. He will bring the animal creation into our glorious liberty. Thanks, Robin. So verse 21, if you just go over to my comments against that last uh, sentence of Andrew's commentary there, See, it's got commented by GP1, GP being me. Verse 21 actually tells us what God's hope is. Verse 21 says this, Because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I'm in agreement with what Andrew has written there. So let's have a look at Andrew's Life for Today Bible study notes. So these study notes, I believe, are freely available online. And his note five 
many people have thought that the creature spoken of here is human beings. However, the contrast made in Romans 8 verses 22 to 23 clearly exempts the saints from this group. Now, before we go there and go to my comments against this because I am not in agreement with Andrew on this particular point. Let me just get on my iPad. I will just get up 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to it the redemption of our bodies so Andrew is saying note 5 let me read it again many people have thought that the creature spoken of here is human beings however the contrast made in Romans 8 23 clearly exempts the saints from this group well you know what I can't see that because I think it does the reverse. If we go to my comment number two, you see comment GP2. Creation is an all-inclusive word. Man is a created being and therefore is included. It's not man or the rest of creation but rather the whole of creation. Scripture confirms this to be true. Romans 8 22 and 23 for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now and not only they so this verse 23 to me which and and Andrew's using the same two verses but to me it's telling me that man is included saying and not only they but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, being the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. So unless you can throw a light on it that I haven't seen, and I can't talk to Andrew about it, I just have to remain in disagreement with Andrew on that particular point. It's not a life and death thing. And as I said, Andrew's upline for me. So if you choose to go with what Andrew's understanding of it is, then that's fine too. But I'm just trying to teach how to rightly divide the word of truth. And it's the process for understanding it. You know, listen to the Holy Spirit. Look at it. You don't just go along with what Andrew says or what Gary says. You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit on these things. Uh, where was I in Andrew's note number 5? Romans 21 speaks of the creature being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of God. If creature or creation were referring to unsaved people, then this would mean ultimate reconciliation of the human race to God and that's not 
the teaching of Scripture. Now that, what he's saying there is 100% correct. But see the word, if, if creature were referring to unsaved people, well, let's just keep reading what he says. Therefore, it is most probable, most probable that the creature being spoken of here is all of creation, living and non-living, excluding humans. Uh, most probable. I want to focus on that word, most probable. So if you can drop down to my comment, GP number four, most probable indicates to me that Andrew hasn't arrived at a conclusion on this point. Most probable. In other words, he's not giving us an absolute here. I think that's why there's a difference between his understanding and my understanding on this. GP3, creature is not referring to the unsaved. It's referring to the whole of creation. Our born-again spirit has already been delivered from the bondage of corruption. However, our soul and body is yet to be redeemed which is what verse 23 speaks of. We've already covered my comment on number four. Comment number five, yes, Andrew, I agree. And that's saying the creature being spoke of here is all of creation. But then he goes on to qualify that. He's got a comma, uh, living and non-living, and then he's got excluding humans. And I've got Comment number six, GP6, no, Andrew, verse 23 puts pay to that comment. And then I've got verse 23. What does verse 23 say? It says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. My comment on GP7, yes, Andrew, in agreement with the remainder of your comments for Romans 8.20, which refers to this last paragraph. Paul was speaking of how all of creation did not choose to rebel against God. It was just mankind that sinned, and I'm in agreement with that. And then the whole rest of his writing, I'm in agreement with. So there you go. You got anything to say on that, Robin? Wow. Okay. This is really cool because I've been in my house reading the Passion Translation for about a year now, and it says all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. So, honestly, I never thought about this so much but people often ask questions about this verse so this is really good thank you for your study concerning this what I really need to do more work on and I would be happy for you guys to ponder over it and come back to me is if you have a look at his note 5 the second line on note 5 he says, Romans 28 speaks of the creature being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty 
of the children of God. If creature were referring to the unsaved people, then this would mean ultimate reconciliation of the human race to God, and that is not in line with what the scripture is teaching. And I actually agree with him on that. The Holy Spirit reveals these truths and we can go to him and and ask him for revelation. And right now, I turn to you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will reveal the truths in this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 20, that you will bring revelation knowledge to us. We ask for wisdom and your word, Lord, says that you will give it to us liberally, that you're a liberal giver. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we receive that wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. How about we all come back, we revisit this next week. We'll move on to the next verse and we might jump up to verse 26 next and just leave that one because as Graham says, this is not a five-minute thing that you can get your head around. Here you've got my teacher teaching something that, well, I can't come into agreement with him I've got to be able to understand it. I've got one of those inquiring minds that I need to understand it. It's not like something like the Trinity that you have to just believe it on faith and you get an understanding of it later because the Trinity is one of the foundation stones of Christian belief. The Trinity can be taught, it can be explained, but it must not be debated because it's a non-negotiable, undisputable foundational stone of Christianity. And you've got people who don't believe the Trinity, they are not Christian because unless you believe the Trinity, the Trinity is foundational. So it's across the board. In other words, no matter what your doctrine is, if you're a Christian, regardless of doctrine, You must be in agreement with the Trinity because it's an absolute. Getting back to Romans chapter 8 verse 20, it's not like talking about something that is a foundational cornerstone of the Christian belief. It's something, an area where we can have differences of understanding of it and yet still be in agreement because It's what we believe that gives us our uniqueness because if it was only our spirit, our spirit's identical to Christ. So if you're looking at my spirit, my spirit is identical to Graham, my spirit is identical to Robin and vice versa in all around. So it's not our spirit, it's what we believe and what we believe is in our heart and our heart is a combination of our soul and spirit. So this Romans chapter 8 verse 20 is not pivotal on doctrine. It's good to have a handle on it, it's good to have an understanding of it, but there's room for differences of understanding. Would you like to make a further comment there, Robin? I understand what you're saying, and, and yeah, I, I, I can't settle on which way that I, you know, that I'm going with it right now, 
I just really appreciate that we opened it up like this. I wanted to bring it forward to everyone so that you can all get a handle on the process of rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we're doing now. So if we can come back to this verse again next week, and if each of us can meditate on it and have a look at what this document that I've flipped onto you and see if we can we can all bring bring something to the table next week, rightly divided as a Bible study. Yeah. Amen. Mm, okay. Amen. Romans 8, verse 26, King James Version. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Notice the topic from the verse forward is praying in the Spirit. I draw attention to this because just a few verses ahead is a verse that a doctrine of error within the body of Christ has been built on. Taking that particular verse out to the context of praying in the Spirit. But for the moment, let's focus on Paul's intent in writing this verse 26. An example. Ephesians 6, verse 18, in the King James Version. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's an example of Romans 8, 26, Ephesians 6, 18. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then the example is over here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So that's the application of it. Thanks, Robin. appreciate that. Can you keep reading? Yes, Gary. The Andrew Womack Ministries Living Commentary, it says the Greek word that was translated helpeth in this verse is sunantilabanaomai. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it means... <laughs> To take hold of opposite together, that is, cooperate, assist, from strong concordance. This means the Holy Spirit doesn't do this for us, but with us. Mm. That's when it's saying Many... helpeth. Helpeth. It's talking about helpeth. So the word helpeth, H-E-L-P-E-T-H, means to cooperate or assist, and he gets that from the strongest concordance. This means the Holy Spirit, when it says helpeth, doesn't do this for us, but with us. So that's the explanation, a good explanation from Andrew there. Yes, can you continue there, please, Robin? It says, many people have said that this groaning is speaking in tongues. 
But speaking in tongues can be uttered. This is speaking of a groaning in the spirit that is different than speaking in tongues. The Greek word alaletos, which was translated, which cannot be uttered in this verse, means unspeakable in the Strong's Concordance. This is clearly referring to something other than speaking in tongues. Andrew's Life for Today study Bible note says in note one, the word likewise is stressing that in the same way that hope helps us endure until the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8 verse 23, So the Holy Spirit helps us through the frailties of our flesh by interceding for us. Note two, the word helpeth was translated from the Greek word. That word again. Yes, that word. And it means to take hold of opposite together, that is, cooperate, assist, according to the Strong's Concordance. It describes a union. Not the Holy Spirit doing all of the interceding for us. The Holy Spirit helps us as we are interceding, but he doesn't automatically do it for us. Note three, the Greek word that was translated infirmities in this verse is asthenia, and it means feebleness of mind or body. By implication, malady. Morally, frailty, according to Strong's Concordance. This same word was translated weakness five times. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 43. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, 13, verse 4, and Hebrews 11, verse 34. So it is easy to see that this word is describing mental and moral weakness, not sickness. Paul went on to describe what these infirmities are when he said, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The infirmities this scripture is speaking of are the weaknesses that come from not knowing how we should pray. Note four. This has been an encouraging scripture for countless believers. It is certain that none of us knows exactly how to pray in every situation. Therefore, it is very comforting to know that the Holy Spirit is there to help us. However, as mentioned in note 2 at this Romans 8:26 verse, he helps us. He, does, he doesn't do the interceding for us, but through us. Even Jesus drew on this ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is written in John chapter 11, verse 33 and verse 38 that Jesus groaned in the Spirit twice when he raised Lazarus from the dead. What infirmity did Jesus have that he needed this ministry of the Holy Spirit? Jesus had no sin, but he did have an infirmity, his physical mind. Even a sinless human mind could not comprehend raising a man from the grave after four days. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to help him when he didn't know how to pray, then certainly this should be an important ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Note five. 
this intercession of the Holy Spirit is with groanings which cannot be uttered. Some spirit-filled Christians have said that this means groaning that cannot be uttered in our normal speech and therefore have said that this is referring to speaking in tongues. See note 13 at Mark 16, verse 17, and note 9 at Acts 2, verse 4. Yet this is referring to an intercession that is different from speaking in tongues. In John chapter 11, verse 33 and verse 38, Jesus groaned in the Spirit twice. This is the exact terminology that is used here in Romans 8:26 and in John 11. It is easy to see that no words were uttered. It was exactly as the scripture states, a groaning in the Spirit. All those who have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit have or will have this happen to them. Paul was referring to this in Galatians 4, verse 19, when he spoke of travailing in birth for the Galatians. As explained in note 16 at John 11, verse 33, this groaning of the Holy Spirit is not just of grief, but a groan of anger and resistance against Satan's devices in people's lives. Many times Christians don't discern this because they think they are the only ones grieved with their situations. But this is the Holy Spirit desiring to get into intercession with people against their problems. Although the groaning is unutterable, it can be discerned, and many times people react to this with audible groans or other outward acts. This has led to religious doctrines and traditions that are offensive to many people and are unscriptural. There is nothing wrong with people reacting to the inner working of the Holy Spirit as long as they don't confuse their reactions with the Holy Spirit's actions. This intercession cannot be uttered. Any counterfeits that religion may have produced only serve to illustrate that there has to be a genuine. The genuine groaning in the Spirit is priceless. Thanks, Robin. That is a really, really good writing. Would you like to comment on it, Robin? I agree. It's, it's excellent, Gary, because at the end how it says, you know, there are many offensive counterfeits. I've, I've seen them, and it's offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think whether I've seen them. Let me describe what I've seen. I went to a conference in Melbourne. This is quite a number of years ago. It was a Rodney Howard Brown meeting, and they had it in a an ice skating rink. <laughs> so we were, we were down in the bowl, if you know what I mean. There were probably a couple of thousand people there. How can I describe it? They weren't really rolling. There were people running around and they were screaming and they were doing all sorts of stuff. I, I can't really say I found it offensive. I found it almost entertaining. It was like, wow, this is a bit different. Is that what he's talking about there, Robin? I, I have seen women, like, squatting as though they are birthing something, you know? Like, oh, yeah. travailing or something. I mean, like, yeah, that's yeah. the kind of... And yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that. I've yeah. seen somebody, a couple of occasions I've seen that. I've seen them actually, and it was women on each occasion. I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it. But they actually brought buckets and they were encouraging them to um, vomit into a bucket. Uh, I, don't, I 
just yeah. quite couldn't quite quite catch on what was going on and and you know i i just went well that's not right either that person's not born again but if they're trying to deliver a spirit into a bucket i don't see that being biblical you know <laughs> yeah. right yeah yeah that's so the there you go. Is that these they counterfeit you know yeah okay god god yeah. is a god of order right i mean he doesn't yeah. do these disorderly crazy stuff yeah graham have you got a comment uh, I do agree with what you're talking about. Spirit okay. is spirit, flesh is flesh. Would you like to close this Bible study with prayer, please? Yes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you are our helper and our advocate. You never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you you are the one to help us rightly divide this word of truth. Amen. And thank you that all creation groans for the for the coming of the children of God, and we thank you for um, raising us up in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham. Thanks for the help.